Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Jeff Lucas, and it's something that used to be part of life for many of us, and I'm talking about flying. And it's something that most of us are unable to do right now. Now, I have been on flights just a fraction of the time during COVID because of work and ministry, all totally legal, so don't write in to complain. But coming through Heathrow recently was like passing through a ghost town, and many people are missing flying. It's been reported on the news this week that Japan's biggest airline is offering first-class dining on a parked plane for just £392 a meal. ANA Airways started offering the service on Wednesdays and they've added more slots for April because they sold out so quickly. And then Singapore Airlines have been offering diners the opportunity to have lunch on a stationary Airbus 380 parked at the city's main airport. Again, £380 and the first two seating dates sold out within half an hour. And British Airways is getting in on the deal as well, making its first-class menu available through its catering partner, D.O. & Co. Although these meals are for home delivery, there's a choice of four different cook-at-home meal kits, each serving two and starting from £80. Some people are really missing flying. But then there's the other end of the economic scale. Bahadur Shand Gupta, a retired Indian Airlines flight engineer, has parked a mothballed A300 in his back garden in India and has spent years restoring it to its former glory. Together with his wife Nirmal, they allow poor villagers and slum dwellers to board a stationary plane to experience flying while never leaving the ground. It's a rather heartbreaking story that despite the fact that the domestic Indian airline industry has boomed in the last few years, the great majority of India's population, 97% of them, have never flown or stepped on board an aircraft. And so Captain Gupta's mission is to give people a chance to experience the inside of a plane and learn a little about how aircraft operate. For absolutely no cost, they check in, receive a boarding pass, climb the stairs and are ushered to their seats by the chief stewardess, Nirmal. They hear the safety drill, they enjoy a snack and a drink served by the crew and they have a look at the cockpit. Gupta had never flown until he got a job as a mechanical engineer with Indian Airlines and immediately his fellow villagers began to beg him for a tour of a plane but of course for security reasons that was impossible. So now, in between trolley service and safety demonstrations, Captain Gupta's wife, who is also a professor of political science at Delhi University, takes advantage of her time with a captive audience by sharing mid-flight messages on drug control and HIV and AIDS awareness. And the end of the visit involves an emergency crash landing. There's a chance to try sliding down the emergency chute. Snacks and drinks are then served again, and then all passengers sit down and watch a few videos. At the end of every flight, Captain Gupta has converted another 50 people on his mission to educate the public and demystify the business of flying. Lucas on Life, this week on Flying. 
It had not been a good flight at all. Cooped up for 11 long hours, some passengers were fighting boredom by pondering their lunch trays and playing Name That Food. Most guessed wrongly. The fodder looked like an aerial view of a farmyard. It was so utterly inedible and unattractively presented that some speculated that the airline employed an ex-wrestler to beat up the nosh just prior to serving it. The toilet was so small that one needed training as a contortionist to sit down, and once seated, there was a very real fear that one might remain wedged in that position while trans-navigating entire continents. I wanted to get off the plane. Now. I shifted uncomfortably in my seat, hemmed in as I was by two bodies. An evangelist friend was seated to my left, and to my right there sat a lady who was certainly no frequent flyer. She was afraid. Very afraid. I'd like to tell you that I think I knew of her fear because I sense this in my spirit, as they say. Alas, this was no feat of discernment. She was eating the in-flight magazine, which gave me a hint. Her tension was palpable, fingers knotting and unknotting repeatedly, sideways glances out of the window every few seconds. My evangelistic colleague had also noticed her terror. He jabbed me in the ribs and hissed urgently in my ear. Lucas, look, the lady next to you is obviously terrified of flying. I nodded dumbly. He was so right, but what should I do about it? The Billy Graham wannabe to my left hissed again. Why don't you offer to pray for her? Fear of flying is no fun, you know. She needs your help. He was right, of course, but I was tired, bored, uninspired, and somewhat beset by the temporary atheism that attacks Christian leaders when they have to sit doing nothing for too long. We carried on flying. Then we hit a patch of turbulence, or so Nigel the pilot informed us. I think all pilots are called Nigel. It's a requirement of their training. The so-called patch so threw the plane around that I felt like underwear in a washing machine. The bump created an instant reaction in our row of seats. The evangelist to my left shouted in tongues for an urgent second or two. My friend was helped by the tongue speaking, and so was a Turkish man two seats down who thought that someone was helpfully sharing a recipe in his dialect. I repented of my atheism in a second and the terrified lady passenger screamed and began eyeing up the seat in front of her as a potential snack, because her magazine was now in shreds. Another hiss and a jab from the left. Did you hear that, Lucas? The lady screamed. Yes, I know, Sherlock. It was in my ear that she did holler. And look, look, Lucas, she's crying now. Oh, have you got no heart? Pray for her. Right pray for her. She's going to think this is the most creative chat-up line of her life. Hello, darling. How about I pray for you then? We carried on flying, and then we apparently skimmed over the top of Mount Everest, or major turbulence, according to Nigel the pilot up front. That was it. The poor lady screamed again, reached out and grabbed my hand, and wouldn't let go. We sat there for a few seconds, she and I, total strangers, hand in hand now, Time for a jaunty skip down the aisle of the plane, perhaps. A third jab and a hiss. Do something, Lucas. That woman is in trauma. Why? She's holding your hand. I know, I said. It's my hand. Why don't you go and do some door-to-door -door work on the emergency exit? I whispered to my friend that I had now definitely done my bit in my ongoing ministry of holding hands. Why didn't he offer to pray for her? He leaned over me and spoke to her kindly. Excuse me, madam, 
I notice that you don't like flying. Well, my friend and I, he whose hand you are currently gripping, we are both Christians. Would you like us to say a prayer for you? I brace myself for the hysterical laughter, the mocking disdain, and the recognition that I was holding hands with the president of the World Humanist League. But no rejection came at all. Her face, so creased with anxiety, relaxed into a nervous smile. She spoke. Pray? Oh, that would be lovely. Please do. I'm very grateful. I was stunned. I'd anticipated a negative response from her, and so had failed to speak at all. My friend's offer of prayer was actually exactly what she'd been waiting for. She was most grateful. How often do we project our fears of rejection onto those who've not heard the good news yet? We anticipate a frosty response, and so, fearful of the embarrassment that might result, we clam up, walk on by, and miss an opportunity for kindness. We pass up the chance to offer a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, fearing that the thirsty will spit it out with a curse. We keep on flying, as it were. And leaders can do this with their congregations, nervous about introducing change because they see a negative response as almost inevitable. Leaders can spend their whole lives shadow boxing, but it isn't always like that because the lady in seat 31B smiled softly for the rest of the trip and thanked us again, my friend for his prayers and me for the loan of my hand. Which is even more surprising when you consider how my friend prayed. No quiet, sensitive, Father, please help this dear lady, gentle touch from him. He jumped into a major full-on intercession at the top of his voice. Oh, God, deal with this turbulence and calm this lady's fears. Right now, in Jesus' name, we command it, we proclaim it. He was loud, passionate, and pebble-dashed the left-hand side of my face with spit, even as he prayed. All of the other passengers looked around, eager to know the source of the disturbance, and looked at me. They were embarrassed. I was embarrassed. But the lady was unfazed by this WrestleMania prayer. She just smiled and nodded and smiled again. And I think, I think, God laughed. Flying, that's our theme. I stood in the airport check-in line, dark clouds gathering in my heart as I waited and waited. The prospect of yet another transatlantic flight spent with my legs wrapped around my neck for nine hours filled me with dread. I just wanted to be home. Airports can be such lonely places, emotional black holes that are crammed full of people who have no desire to be there at all. They just desperately want to get home, go on holiday, get to the business meeting. And the notion that air travel is glamorous couldn't be more flawed. Sitting strapped inside a silver tube with 300 fellow travellers, most of whom are fighting a losing battle against high-altitude flatulence, is hardly enchanting. I stepped forward to the ticket counter and wished that beam-me-up Scotty was a usable prayer that could just get me home right now. But in a second, the sun came bursting out behind the dark clouds as the check-in agent spoke. Good morning, Mr. Lucas. I have good news for you. You've been upgraded to business class today. What? I wanted to kiss her, which would have been quite wrong. Indeed, I wanted to kiss everyone in the airport, which would have been even more wrong. I wanted to dance a waltz or sing an excerpt from The Sound of Music and laugh out loud over the airport PA system. Business class. 
a big comfy seat all to myself with champagne and edible food that even looks and tastes like food and flight attendants who smile and don't walk up and down the aisle glaring like sentries on patrol and this was going to be beautiful. Like a stunned lottery winner, I offered my grateful thanks and headed for the airport lounge, my heart dancing with heady exhilaration. Suddenly, the airport was a truly beautiful place to be, filled with lovely, friendly people, or so it seemed. The receptionist in the lounge smiled and asked me why I was so happy. Breathlessly, I told her my news. I, I had been upgraded. I chatted with the receptionist for around 15 minutes, and then she told me some rather strange news, that many passengers react weirdly when they get a free upgrade. One would think that everyone would be brimming with gratitude. Upgrading is like the airline giving you a check for a couple of thousand pounds. Such is the difference often between the ticket cost of flying coach and business. And yet, strangely, many people become haughty and aggressive when they discover that they're sitting in a better seat. They become loud, demanding, obnoxious, and some even threaten to report the person who has upgraded them. They abuse the grace that has been showered upon them and attack the very people who have shown them such kindness. Then I wondered if I've ever been a grace abuser I've been freely, outrageously forgiven, but how willing am I to pass that grace around to those who irritate and offend me? Through the cross, God has granted me the ultimate upgrade from a lost forever to an eternity loaded with the genuine luxury of closeness to Jesus. I've encountered too many churches that have been ripped apart by people who know well how to sing Amazing Grace, but they themselves are graceless, emotionally shriveled and mean. Experts in conflict resolution say that Christians can be the very worst at dealing with disagreement. Perhaps that's because of our insistence that we drag God into every conflict and discord, demanding that he agree with our preferences and opinions. Slogans and cliches abound when we fall out. We're not just irritated with each other, we're grieved in our spirit. It's not just that the music on Sunday morning wasn't to our taste. Suddenly, God himself must have put his hands over his ears. After all, we didn't like that song, so surely he didn't like it either. The Bible is patently clear about our need to not just enjoy and receive grace, but to pass it around. The forgiven are commanded to forgive. We who must drive heaven to distraction with our idiotic, bumbling sinfulness are exhorted to put up with each other's foibles. We are objects of love, children of a God who is willing to trust us with everything, including the redemption of a planet. That should lead us to run from cynicism and to genuinely believe the best of each other. Of course we'll be disappointed. Far better that, though, than to live a jaundiced existence, empty of hope or optimism. Meanwhile, back in the airport lounge, another surprise was in store. Just five minutes before the flight, the friendly receptionist hurried up to me, and with a huge smile, she whispered, I know you've already been bumped up to business class, but we need to move another passenger up, so I'm double upgrading you and putting you in first class today. That means you get to sleep in a real bed and you get the best food available. My jaw almost hit the floor. Grace upon grace, the first class seat would cost 10 times the price of my ticket. I asked her why she'd done it. It's simple, she said. You were nice to me. Have a great flight. 
In this time when most of us have not been doing much flying, some in-flight stories today, stories that I hope will encourage us not only to share our faith without an expectation of rejection, but also those of us experiencing the marvellous grace of God next time that irritating, offensive person comes by, perhaps will be nudged to pass the grace around. See you next time. Lucas on Life.